Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Alabama podcast from Business Alabama Magazine. I'm Alec Harvey, Executive Editor of Business Alabama Magazine, and my guest today is Dr. Michael Chambers, Associate Vice President of Research and Economic Development at the University of South Alabama and a board member for Innovate Alabama. On this episode, Dr. Chambers talks about Innovate Alabama, which opens applications for its second round of funding this week. Please join me as I talk to Dr. Michael Chambers on the Business Alabama podcast. Michael Chambers, thanks for joining me on the Business Alabama podcast today. Well, hey, Alec. Thanks so much for inviting me to join you. Can you start by telling us just a little bit about you, where you're from, how you got to where you are, and what you, leading up to what you're doing today? Oh, wow. Uh, so I grew up in Anniston. I went to uh, Alabama, did some graduate work there, then finished law school. Then I uh, was very fortunate, got a couple scholarships. So I spent a year in France, two years in Switzerland. Then I was out of money, came back home, started practicing law, then got involved in the life sciences and biotech, started a ophthalmic company with my brother-in-law, who's at, John Hopkins at Johns Hopkins at the time. And uh, spent about five years building that business before we sold it in about 2005. And then been involved in other life science ventures and companies over the years. And then about 2015, I'd been working a lot with the University of South Alabama. And they essentially offered me a job here. And I'm now the Associate Vice President of Research and Economic Development. So I work a lot with our faculty and technology, our scientists and students, trying to help them commercialize products. Well, I definitely want to get into that a little bit later on, but can you tell me about Innovate Alabama and how you got involved with that group? Sure. Why don't I give you a little bit of a history of that, uh, how that came about? Because the Alabama Innovation Corporation really came after the Alabama Innovation Commission. You might say, well, what's the difference? So the commission actually started about two years earlier uh, as a result of the vision of Governor Ivey. And she wanted a commission of statewide people, very talented, to look at Alabama's economy and see what we were going to need for the future. So 15 people from across the state were brought in. The uh, Hoover Institute that is linked to Stanford University and led by Birmingham native Dr. Condoleezza Rice, uh, it was engaged to help facilitate the discussion and map out a plan for the future of Alabama's economy. And so that was actually created about almost two years ago now and really served as kind of the blueprint, so to speak, for what could be done in the future. And so the second part of that plan, and that I should add was led by Director Bill Poole and Greg Reed and the president of the advisory council of the group was led by Alabama Power Zeke Smith. So Governor Ivey then led an effort to create a public-private corporation comprised of 11 people, uh, six from the public sector and five from the private sector. Uh, And I was one of the five people selected to be on the Alabama Innovation Corporation board, representing someone from the private sector. And that has been rebranded as Innovate Alabama. So that public-private corporation really is charged with implementing the blueprint, if you will, of the Alabama Innovation Commission, and then any other, of course, good ideas that uh, come about as a result of the input. So that uh, the board was appointed in December 
of 2021. So we've just finished pretty much a good year, uh, the first year of the Alabama Innovation Corporation or Innovate Alabama. And we've just recently hired a CEO, which is very dynamic uh, individual, Cynthia Crutchfield, with some amazing experience from the uh, military and defense sector and a huge amount of experience on project management. So that's a little bit of the, you know, how it started, what the blueprint is, and what the leadership is to date. Can you tell me a little bit more about that blueprint, some of the programs that the group is working on? Well, I, I can. I can tell you that uh, if you look at, you can kind of go to the Hoover Institute and in the search box, just type in Alabama and you will get the whole commission report. So if the listeners out there want to look at the whole thing, they can find it. But there were kind of five key areas. One was uh, entrepreneurship and access to capital. One was talent attraction and retention. One was increasing commercialization of the technology that comes out of Alabama. Another one was build bridging digital and economic divides. And of course, they are, you know, certainly we have some broadband issues in rural Alabama that need to be addressed and are being addressed. And then uh, the final one was what they call the knowledge economy. We have an amazing amount of universities and, and some of them are research universities as well. And so it's, you know, establishing programs with those universities, colleges, and K through 12 that help provide the skills training to make sure that we have the workforce we need. Because Alabama's economy in many places, I know it certainly is here in Mobile, is is booming. And one of the biggest issues we have is finding people to service the sectors that we have and then keeping them. I, I know one of the specific things that, that the group and you are working on are the grants that you're giving out. And I guess it's a, a two-stage process every year, and you've already given away the first round of grants. Can you can you correct me if I'm wrong and tell me what uh, what the process is? No, that's pretty much correct. And I'll, I'll give you a little background. So the federal government gives away, I say, awards grants every year through a lot of different federal agencies. I'm probably, well, at least 16 or 17 with the particular types of grants that we're going to talk about. But people, businesses can apply for them. Universities can apply for these. And they're called SBIR or SIBR, and, uh, which stands for Small Business Innovation Technology Grant. And the other one is called STTR or SITR, and that's a Small Business Technology Transfer. So you have these companies that get these grants every year, and they could be 100000 They could be, depending on the phase, uh, 750000 and a number of different states throughout the country have programs to match those awards. So I think to date, about 20 other states have programs similar to this. So this was an effort by the Alabama legislature and Governor Ivey to make sure that we were competitive with those other states and we were not losing business, but also make it attractive enough that we would actually attract business to Alabama. And so what do these do? You know, if you get one of these grants, the way you have to do, you apply to a federal agency, and then typically they have scientists lined up that will actually review the grant request and say, is this a good idea? Does it have legs? Um, does it have potential to help the United States? And if it's awarded, that's kind of a credentialing mark, so to speak, to say that uh, this technology has promise. And so what our supplemental grant program does is we encourage everyone who has been awarded one of those grants to apply for the supplemental funding. 
and we will give them a particular amount of money to uh, not necessarily match, but supplement that award. And of course, that money has to be used to try to achieve the next milestone of the technology, try to try to advance that technology. There are limitations and restrictions on what it can be used for because they apply to us and tell us what they want to use it for. So we had in the first year, $5 million to distribute. We had a number of applications and ultimately we, we awarded 30 businesses throughout the state, over 4.5 million in funding. Can you talk about any specifics, any of the companies that, that have put this money to use already? Well, sure. I, I will tell you that of those 30 companies, at least nine were led by women and minority owned, and they uh, geographically represented six different cities throughout Alabama. And I, I would say, you know, Huntsville had a lot. The, the, they were certainly well represented, but we had Mobile, Huntsville, Bessemer, Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, and Auburn, to name a few. The types of companies that were funded is amazing because the diversity is kind of off the chart. For example, Bayou Labattery, which is a, a city near Mobile, they're working on turning shrimp shell waste into valuable plastic products, for example, which I find kind of an amazing. Then you have, say, a company like Accelerate Wind in Birmingham that's trying to develop an affordable wind turbine. You have Avnic Defense Solutions in Huntsville. They're trying to develop a handheld tool set. And the value of that is to locate wiring faults, open, you know, shorts in uh, cables. You have uh, BioGrad Match in Tuscaloosa. And that's really interesting because it's a grant-funded joint venture between Stillman uh, and something called Admit Academy. And that technology is designed to help students at historically black colleges and universities to kind of navigate some of the hurdles in order to be able to apply to biomedical graduate programs. So you can see that it kind of goes everything from defense to education to all types of different things. So I think that's a great example of the diversity of the Alabama economy and and the different types of technologies that people are interested in. And now you're about to do it all again, right? Applications for the second round of funding open up January 17th? Exactly. We have another $5 million plus about a quarter of a million left over from this first round. So we are now in the second fiscal year of this program. And uh, we're going to try things a little different this time. We're going to break it into two tranches. Uh, the first year, we were just very focused on getting the program up and running and making sure that people are aware of it. But all these federal agencies award these grants at different times. There's no standard date that everybody gets an award notice. So we thought it would be helpful if we kind of set up two different tranches, so to speak, or timeframes. So uh, the portal will open for 30 days and people have the opportunity to apply uh, at that time. And I will say that it will open up again in May. The date's not certain, but we will... Uh, this will not be your only opportunity or shot at the five million. We will hold some back and look and see how many people apply this time. And because last year was the first year, if your grant was active as of July 21, 2021, you're still eligible for this fiscal year. That will change in the future. So not to confuse anybody, what we're trying to do is if you didn't hear about it the first year and this just passed you by, and your grant's now over, 
we don't want you to miss out just because you didn't hear about it. So we would encourage encourage you to apply. Now that will change the third year. We will have a mm-hmm. earlier cutoff date. So what we're trying to do is give everybody an opportunity that, that is out there to apply. Dr. Chambers, you're an entrepreneur yourself, or you were, I would assume you still are, but um, you, you founded and were CEO of a company that might've benefited from funding like this a few years ago. How has the lay of the land changed for entrepreneurs and people who are starting their businesses like you did? Well, uh, absolutely. I, could have benefited, you know, with, you know, assuming any company like my prior companies had an SBI or STTR grant. This is what we call non-dilutive funding. So most entrepreneurs uh, and startups, uh, you can get a loan, but that's pretty hard because many times you don't have any hard assets to serve as collateral, uh, or you can raise money. And the challenge, if you're a young company, is the valuation is so small that if someone gives you an amount of money, they're going to require a very large percentage of your equity or ownership of the company. And and that's called dilutive because it dilutes the owner's interest in the company. What this money does is it's non-dilutive. We're, the state of Alabama and this particular program is not asking for anything exchange, in exchange except for the fact that you stay where you are for a certain number of years. And that's why it's so attractive because it's money to advance your technology and you don't have to give anything up for it except spend the money the way you said you were going to spend it. I'd love to pivot for a moment to what you're doing at the University of South Alabama. And again, we've been talking about this, given the growing number of pitch competitions and entrepreneurship money available. Has that changed how a university develops its own research projects? I think it's it's certainly changed here, and I see it changing in other places, and it's happened uh, pretty quickly in the last 10 years. There are a lot of programs out there that are very focused on entrepreneurship, and, and many of them are at universities. There's a, a, a program that I help uh, facilitate here on campus called i Innovation Corps, which it, it is represented at some other universities in Alabama as well. But it's basically a course that is has a standard curriculum nationwide to teach scientists and students how to uh, commercialize technologies. And it's their programs for, you know, more engineering and then their programs more focused on life sciences through through ICOR. And the reason that's valuable, it was it was started because you know, a lot of universities and entrepreneurs get money from the federal government, but no products actually develop from them. And so what they learned pretty quickly when they launched this pilot more than a decade ago is that after a 10-week period, if people went through this program, up to 85% of the people going through the program changed their product or changed the customer that they were going to try to sell it to. That's just after 10 weeks. And so Instead of building something and then two years later asking a customer, is this what you wanted? This program forces you to go out and actually see what people want and, and you know, try to satisfy their needs. Another program we have here, which exists in uh, other parts of the United States as well, is a team-based mentoring program. We call it RAMP, like ramp up. And we actually licensed that technology from MIT about five years ago. So we have uh, probably roughly... 20 young companies in the cohort at any time, 
and over 30 really experienced mentors who work in teams to help them. And I think that's happening in a lot of places. We, we have a minority business acceleration program here that really was, I'd say originally the impetus came from Commissioner Mercuria Ludgood, who was a, a great proponent, not only of the the RAMP program, but also minority business development. She sent me, I don't know, it's been years ago, Alec, but an article, I think it was by John Archibald. I hope, I hope I'm getting that right. But his article talked about, we have 27% African-Americans in the state of Alabama, but only 3% business ownership among African-Americans. And so here, and this has happened in other parts of the state, we started a program really focused on minority businesses. So what has changed, I think, are the myriad of programs that are being offered, whether it be by university or chambers of commerce throughout the state. And I think with Innovate Alabama, you're going to see more of that. And one example of that is uh, with this supplemental grant program, one of the charges, of course, was to make sure that minority businesses were represented and knew about the program and, in fact, actually encouraged Innovate Alabama to have programs to ensure that that was the case. So uh, one of the things we did pretty early on is a webinar on how to apply for these federal grants, because if you don't get the federal grant, you can't get the Alabama supplemental funding. So we, this is still kind of on the tail end of COVID, but Jim Greenwood, who's a very respected, I'd call him an expert in this field, did a webinar. There were, I think, 165 people who participated throughout the state of Alabama in that webinar. And that's just an example of just how many people were interested and getting to know more. So What's changed is much more programming that's available at it's either free or at very limited cost. And can you tell me about some of the research that's going on in South Alabama right now? Well, we've got great scientists everywhere through the state of Alabama. We're very blessed with um, a number of universities and some great research universities as well. I just, I, before we uh, began this, I just came out of a meeting talking to two of our faculty members who have already, in their department, they have launched a low-Earth orbit satellite and have some technology that is very interesting on how to make them, uh, you know, bigger, better, faster, more efficient. And it's it's fascinating because, of course, that's a real hot area now, the low-Earth orbit. It's called LEO satellites. But that is probably one of the most fun things I do is listen to that technology and try to figure out you know, which part of it can be patented, which part can be commercialized. Right. And so we have that going on. We also have a very strong program in ionic liquids, which is kind of a liquid salts, you know, that have a very low melting temperature and those can be used in batteries and solvents. <clears throat> and we're doing a lot of work with NASA in that area. We have what's called an ABSL3, which another one of those terrible acronyms, but basically, that's one of the laboratories where you can, teach all, you can keep all the nasty viruses like COVID, Zika, Ebola. So, I mean, if you have any of those in the United States, you have to have a very specialized lab to control those. And so we have a robust program looking at viruses and vaccines. We have advanced materials, pretty interesting uh, technology there. And, you have, and, and we have a, a marine science department that's kind of on fire now. It's just achieved a tremendous amount of 
federal grants because, of course, we're on the Gulf of Mexico. Um, we have a gentleman here named Dr. Sean Powers who is leading our new School of Marine Science and doing a great job. Now, those are examples from the University of South Alabama, but I can tell you from my work at Innovate Alabama and looking at all these supplemental grant proposals, there's some incredibly interesting technology out there from from small businesses as well as out of the universities. So it's it's a very exciting time to see what's coming out of Alabama. I'd like to switch gears a little bit or entirely here with some questions that, that I call business casual. And sometimes they're pop culture answers. Sometimes they relate to the business you're in. Um, do you listen to podcasts? Can you tell me what you might be listening to these days? Is this where you ask me personal questions, Alec? That's right. We, we <laughs> delve into uh, the subjects you don't want to talk about. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> um, well, you know, I listen, I do a lot of books on tape and <clears throat> I kind of push myself to finish the book. Sometimes I read more than one, but I think I, my Son-in-law Chris Lopresti, who lives in Chicago, is uh, also an entrepreneur. So he plugs me in pretty well to some. And then some of my medical friends. There's one called the Curbsiders. It's a pretty deep dive into medicine, but uh, that's not bad. There's one called Found My Fitness, which is kind of more of my kind of exercise perk. And there's a guy, David Sinclair, who's head of an uh, the Longevity Institute at Harvard. He has one called Long- Longevity by Design, which is pretty interesting. They've uh, read a, I'm trying to remember the name of the book um, that he was, he wrote, and it was on longevity. But, you know, they've identified four factors now that kind of are responsible for how long you live. And they're almost, uni- well, not uniformly, but many scientists out there are saying the people that are born today, if they live right, Hitting a hitting 115 or 120 should not be a problem, and to me that just blows my mind. Now, I don't know what kind of shape they're going to be in when they're 115 or 120, but uh, you know those kind of predictions. And when you look at one of my favorite examples is Wilbur Wright, you know, one of the brothers who did the first flight. He died, I think, in 1912 at the age of 45, and at that moment. You know, just a little more than 100 years ago, the life expectancy for a male in the United States was 48 years old. So we're talking about within 150 years, doubling the lifespan of the average citizen, if those people are correct. And that's that's never happened before in the history of mankind. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, you mentioned audio books. What's the last book you listened to or or read? Well, let's see. I'm reading. I'm actually reading a hard copy now of one called The Outsiders, which I find pretty fascinating. It's a book about, uh, I guess, eight or nine CEOs that defied logic, and they focus more on cash flow than earnings per share. For you, it probably you wouldn't like them because they kind of refuse to talk to the press. But <laughs> it's a very fascinating book with some quirky personalities, but pretty interesting. So let me, uh, audiobooks. I, let's see what I'm reading one now and I tend to read more than one at a time. Sometimes I get kind of bored with a section, but there's one called leadership and it's by Henry Kissinger and it's kind of six studies in world strategy. And I think Kissinger's probably in his nineties now, but he talks about everyone from Richard Nixon to Anwar Sadat. And I've, I find that very fascinating. The, the one I read not long ago that 
just kind of blew me away was a book by Walter Isaacson called The Code Breakers. And it's kind of the story of the development of a, a, a gene editing technique called CRISPR-Cas9. So hope I'm not losing 95% of the audience now, but what it does a great job of doing is it goes back in time only 20, 25 years and shows the path of all these incremental discoveries and improvements in techniques until finally we were able to have enough knowledge to design a technique to edit genes and make changes that really kind of open the door to personalized medicine and certainly had implications in COVID. Uh, and those two women, uh, one was Jennifer Doudna of, I think she's at, I think at Berkeley, and then a uh, young woman from France named uh, Emmanuel Charpentier, uh, both won the Nobel Prize for for their work. So that one, you know, the great thing about Walter Isaacson, everything that he writes reads like a novel. And right. uh, this one, this one was particularly good. So here we go with the most personal question on here. Right. How do you tend to unwind if you ever have a chance to unwind? Sleep. That's the way I unwind. <laughs> Sleep. I love I love to exercise. Uh, so I'd say between those two, sleep and exercise. Hi, uh, Michael, if we can end with, uh, I, I know you've done a lot of different things in your careers and worked with a lot of people and for a lot of people. Well, what's one of the best pieces of advice you were ever given? Well, there's one real short and sweet one. And it was given to me by uh, a gentleman who's passed away since. His name was Dale Olseth. He was from the uh, Minneapolis area and he ran for a number of years a company called Medtronic. And this was advice that his mother, who was Scandinavian born and did not speak probably a lot of English according to Dale, but her advice to him was pretty simple. And it was uh, work hard, play hard, do good. And uh, he passed that on to me, and I thought that pretty was a pretty good way to summarize the way you live your life. Well, Dr. Michael Chambers, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Well, I uh, very much appreciate the invitation. I can't tell you how much I'm excited to help in the leadership of Cynthia Crutchfield, our new CEO, and to support our the chairman of Innovate Alabama, Director Bill Poole and the Vice Chairman, Senator Greg Reed, who've all done a great job shepherding this far. And I'm just delighted to be a part of it. My thanks to Dr. Michael Chambers, Associate Vice President of Research and Economic Development at the University of South Alabama and a board member for Innovate Alabama. And to you, the listener, for joining me today on the Business Alabama podcast. Until next time, this is Alec Harvey. Find more from Business Alabama in our monthly magazine and online at businessalabama.com.